I'm Robin Crane, and this is the Growing Your Financial Business, The Woman's Way podcast. Listen, I was a financial advisor for over a decade, and I got so sick of the old archaic strategies that your grandpa used to get clients. What the industry teaches today is still so outdated and just doesn't work anymore. So I had to find a better way for myself, and then I got obsessed with sharing these how-tos with other women like me. The stuff I teach doesn't require giving up your life, your sanity, or your family time. I want women like you to have it easier than I had it, so you can thrive in the industry. I've now helped thousands of women grow their financial businesses to multiple six figures, some even seven figures per year. So on this podcast, you're going to get an inside look at how they did it so you can do it too. Let's dive into the show. Welcome back. I'm here with not one, but two amazing ladies who have their own podcast called the Money Tales Podcast. But don't go there yet. We got to impress you first. Um, but you definitely going to want to check that out. Um, these ladies are at the com- at the firm Experience. And we have Sandy here, Sandy Brager. Did I say your last name right? You got it perfect. Yeah, I didn't even practice. And I should just like go with confidence instead of just like <laughs> questioning it because I always do that. Um, and Sandy is the client, excuse me, excuse me, the chief client officer. And we have Cammie Doder. Nailed it. Nailed it. Oh, so good. Um, chief marketing officer. So um, tell us a little about your kind of your path and where have you been in the industry? Because you landed with like clients and, and marketing and really helping other advisors grow their business. But tell us a little about the background of that and how you got to where you are today. I'll start. Uh, you know, Rob and I, I joined Asperian, our predecessor firm, heading up sales and marketing. I had come out of business school and went private client services and really love this whole idea of an independent industry focused, so focused. It wasn't all about like, where's the next client or the commission coming from? It's about serving clients. And I was really drawn to that. Um, and I'll make this short, but I, I get to, as the CMO, um, I help future clients of the firm through their journey. And it, it's, it's hard to understand this space and the differences and um, how we would serve the client. So I get to help them through this journey. And in doing so, my role is to bring the Experian brand to life. Mm. And I think it's super special and beautiful. And it's really an amalgamation of all the people and, and the firm's story. And so I get to bring that to life every day. Awesome. And I and love all, it. All the advisors and financial professionals listening, like I, I know when they hear marketing, they get really like attuned to this because we always want new marketing strategies and ways to attract ideal clients. And we want to get the right people, but what you just said is not just about getting clients, which I love, but it also about giving them a great experience because the people are listening to this podcast, which I'm sure is the same for you. It's like, we want to make sure to provide tremendous transformational value. And so it's not just get them in and then like get more in, but it's all also right. the customer journey. So I want to hear more about that. Um, how about you, Sandy? Uh, Robin, I'm one of those people who uh, is practicing her dream career. I learned about the financial planning profession when I was in college. I knew that's exactly what I wanted to pursue. And I've been doing it for nearly 24 years at Asperian. When I joined the firm in 1999, or the predecessor, one of the predecessor firms to Asperian, I think we were managing about $300 million for clients. Today, that's up to about $13 billion. So it's been a lot of fun to be part of that growth. Um, much of my career has been on the wealth manager side, working directly with clients. And then a few years ago, I pivoted and joined our leadership team. And as the chief client officer, I and, and my team are responsible for really setting the pace for the client experience. So that's where Cami and I 
work really closely together. I'm focused on all of the future, uh, excuse me, all of the current clients. Cami is working on the future clients and we want one very seamless uh, experience all the way across. It's very client-centered and very intimately focused on that client experience. Awesome. But you went from like you were, when you say wealth manager, was that you were an advisor, like growing your book of business? Um, yeah, you know, we don't really have books of business at Experian. We take a oh. very collaborative approach. So um, one of our core values is that clients are clients of the firm, and we really mean that. So uh, while I was responsible for a um, certain number of, of client relationships, they they weren't mine, so to speak. Oh, I was serving okay. them with lots of different yes. uh, colleagues. We have kind of a cross matrix. So we don't even have set teams at Experian working with select groups of clients. Okay. So when you, of- I'm so curious. So when you went into a leadership role, you had clients, but it's like, it's such a uh, collaborative approach that it was like, so so-and-so is going to be working with you. It was not that big of a transition for them. Or was it kind of like, don't leave me. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, Robin, that's a really good question. In some cases, the clients that I work with are the same clients that were brand new clients when I joined in 1999. So in those situations, I'm still serving on the team more as a color commentator. I'm involved in meetings, but not running the day-to-day client engagement. Okay. So our other colleagues have filled in around me. And in some other cases, I'm not participating in the client engagements at this point, but it was part of a natural uh, progression because the colleagues that I was working with on those teams were stepping up in their careers and taking on more and more responsibility. So we really tried to uh, orchestrate it. So it was a seamless transition that felt really good to the clients because we didn't want to do anything that would um, you know, rock the boat there. That would that would give you a huge huge big head like really really stroke your ego like you wouldn't want that no um, so it's not all <laughs> not that. at all no I'm just kidding so um, I'm I'm curious how many advisors are at the firm I mean, it sounds like it's so collaborative I don't even know who's the advisor who's you know just uh, servicing but h- how many are really servicing these clients a thirteen billion dollar there's about seventy advisors across the firm and we have offices across the country. And uh, thanks to a lot of moves during the pandemic, we have uh, some of our advisors in certain states where we don't have a physical presence. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of coverage there. Okay. So how does it all work? So I guess I want from this perspective of like, it sounds like you guys have really um, dialed in this client experience. You both said the words client experience. So it has to start somewhere, especially if Cami, you're the one really on the outskirts getting new clients. And then Sandy, you're the one really nurturing the clients. I think of it as like the customer journey, but like helping them through. I know they don't really talk about that. And most financial guys don't talk about customer journey, but basically the same, same, same thing. Right. So how does that work from, I guess, Cami, you start with what do you do differently to attract the right people to you? Because I would imagine you want to be selective about who you bring into your firm and then pass it on to Sandy as like, well, then what happens once they kind of come and start working with an advisor and what's that experience like? And basically I'll be back. I'm going to go to the bathroom in about 30 minutes. <laughs> That's like a long, long, long question. It's, it is important to think about it as a journey and experience. We just redid our website. We're really thoughtful about from the first step into your digital front door, what is that experience? And so being really thoughtful about who is your target market, and it could be target markets, 
and what is the pain point going on in their lives. So you can, then it, it builds from there. That's sort of the nucleus. Then what's the content that you want to create to start the education to help them, right? So it's, it's not selling. You are serving these future clients through the, the experience on the website, the content that they read. The, okay. you know, I'm going to unpack about, that already. Okay. I love it. Okay. So let's use an example because when you have 70 different advisors across the country and you're basically, you said website, which sounds like it's one, right? To represent one website. That's right. So who is the target market? How specific can you get when you got 70 advisors? So let's start with that. But I'd love to hear your example of like, here's our target market. Because this is, I'm like, oh my gosh, a marketer who sounds like she knows how to market. Like this is incredible. <laughs> um, like, her way. Like, the, you know, because you guys have experienced this, I'm sure at least have heard about it in the industry. But typically, like there's very little talk about target marketing in the industry. There's very little talk about digital presence presence being very important. I mean, people say it, but then most websites are not targeted. They definitely don't target the pain points and they're very blanketed how they talk about, you know, standard retirement solutions and things like that. And for me, like I always find anytime someone's like, here's my website. So I often ask before I talk to them, I'm like searching for a photo. Now, if you have to represent a company of semi advisors, there's probably a lot of photos, but it's like hard for me to even find the personality of the person. Ooh, and I so want important. it. I want it, right? So I want who you are, not just what you do, but it's all who you are in relationship to what I care about and how you can help me and how you can solve my problems. So I know you're drinking the Kool Aid because you actually know what marketing is. But tell me, so how do you do that with target marketing pain points and like the specificity of what you guys do where you can still serve so many people with quite a few advisors? It's a really good question because as you grow, it's one of the challenges, right? So you have so you could potentially have 70 different target audiences. Yeah. Um, so when I'm if I'm talking to someone who's a solo practitioner, I'm just gonna say have focus. It's really, yes, we can serve everyone. Everyone has needs. We want to serve everyone. So, right. But the more focused you are, others can come in who need the, the type of services you offer. For us, how we've done it, and we just did it on our website, is talking to our different niches. So let's give an example. Um, women, we call it women taking charge. Okay. And it's women in transition, but there are so many different sub niches, right? Women isn't, women aren't a niche, right? Mm -hmm. It's women who are sandwich generation. They've got older parents, they've got children and boy, are they smushed and they're stretched so far. And there's a lot of questions and what can we do to serve that market? Women are getting married, right? So these are all these different sub niches we can think about. And how we've addressed that is by telling stories. We really are believers in the more stories you tell to bring to life and to answer certain questions, you can help. One, you can educate through those stories. If they're in that situation, these are things you can think about, but they're also sticky, right? They're like, oh, um, that's my situation. Wow, that was really helpful. And these folks get it, right? So the more, and try not to be all things to all people. And, and try and tell everything that you do. Really think about when your clients are asking questions, what are the questions they're asking? Because that's your future client. And what are, the, what are those pain points that client's experiencing? 
And it's not all about pain. What's the joy they're getting out of life? How do, how do we help them get joy? And how do we demonstrate that? So thinking about those niches, we do, we do talk about, we talk about stories on our website, telling those stories, what's going on. And, and again, just demonstrating. And we, we do it on the Money Tales podcast through those conversations. We can demonstrate our value proposition. This is what we do every day. We have money conversations and we help solve certain pain points. We hold hands and we even hug our clients. <laughs> and I think at least most of the women that I work with and even some of the dudes, like there's a lot of hugging going on. Um, yeah. And it's just because they, just like my clients, like if you're going to have your ideal business and ideal life, you might as well be working with ideal clients, people that you love and you want to hug unless it's in the middle of COVID and you're not allowed. But other than that, <laughs> you Robin, that's a really important point. We want all of our clients to feel loved by us. Like, like that's, that's what we want. That, that is a mark of a really great relationships when clients just feel the love that we're giving and they're reciprocating it back. Um, you know, we're just locked in. We understand what's most important to them, what drives them, what they're trying to achieve. And we're there with them along that journey you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that because, you know, some people might say, we're back to this ego, it must be me, but um, about like, oh, I want my clients to love me, you know, because then you feel appreciated, you feel valued, you feel like it is partly because of course, like you're making a big difference in their lives and there's this transformation there. And so like, it, it's, it's almost an indicator of I'm doing a great job if they love me. But what you said was not whether they love me or not. It's like that they feel loved, which is actually a distinction that um, I, I just made with my husband last weekend. It was my birthday. And uh, we, we <laughs> had a little staycation in Tampa. And my husband is like, he's done a lot of personal development stuff. And like he just is really good at it. Like he takes something he learns and then he applies it. And he's just like, you know, we call it mind bullets. He can just like mind bullet himself to believe whatever he wants. And he's very quick to like, just shift his beliefs. And I'm more like, I know I want to believe that. I know it will help my life. I know if I do that or believe that or have that thought, it's going to improve everything around me. And why am I still so freaking frustrated? Right. Um, but anyway, we were talking and, and like, oftentimes when I say something to him, he's like, feels like I'm judging him and he'll say something to me. And I'm like, but honey, like, I feel judged. And he said, but I'm not judging you. Like I'm all love. Like he's just all love. He's just, he, he's just like, I am in the being of love. And I'm like, it's true. Like he's not judging me. He really is feeling like he's, he's, he thinks he's all like all love. And I'm truly, when he thinks I'm judging him, I am judging him. He's right. <laughs> he's right. <laughs> so what we discovered on this little staycation, we were like talking for hours and we didn't have little kids yapping in our ears and pulling on us and wanting to get in the pool or do whatever. Um, he's, I said, honey, just because you're really not judging me and you, you know, you feel loved doesn't mean I feel loved, you know? And I was like, he's like, oh, that's such a good distinction. Like now my, cause he doesn't care what people think. So people sometimes think he's a total jerk, but he's not, he just, he just loves people, but he doesn't try to sugarcoat anything. And so then he, he's, so the big distinction was like, oh, if I just, I actually am going to work to make people feel loved as opposed to just be love. And I'm like, yes, let's work on that and see how our relationship goes. Good. You work on that. I'll keep it. No, I'm just kidding. Well, Robin, I, I, I sort of challenge you. So you're, you're talking about your marriage, which is great, but think about the rest of your life and the, the people who provide services to you. Like who's making you feel loved? Yeah, it's true. And, and people, of course, are searching for that feeling, right? And everything is designed around like what I do is because of a feeling I get. And so 
I love that distinction because I don't think a lot of people think like that. I think I want to provide value. I think like I want to transform people's lives. Like everything I do is in like for the sake of transformation. So I'll put myself out there. I'll do crazy things, take risks because I'm like, I do want to be liked, but I care more about the transformation than being liked. Whereas I think this is a really good distinction of like, I just want to make sure they feel loved and, and, and which I think I do inherently because I have so much love for them. Um, and I want the transformation, but I, I think that's a really good distinction. So I'm going to, can I add one more thing? Of course, of course. Future, I'm, so I'm, I, future clients come in to our offices or virtual offices, fearful of being judged. Mm-hmm. I'm not organized. I don't understand. What so I think this is, are you talking about? I don't yeah, know those words. Totally. So I think we all have to be mindful of that, right? In our loving state that they come in fearful of fear. Of, and so it's our job to let them know, well, it's not our place to judge and boy, come into our house, you know, like, <laughs> so I think that's a really great story you just shared. Speaking of judgment, I think most people are not watching this and they're just listening, but I just realized because I had it on like speaker view on, on Zoom and then I put it on gallery. So I accidentally saw myself and I see this huge box because I just got a printer because I went crazy. I'm trying to fix my printer, which not a good idea, by the way. Do not ever, ever try to fix a printer that's five years old. But I was just like, oh man, like I, I could have moved that box and put all the junk in front. But it's just, it's only relevant because it's like, we're all afraid of that judgment. Oh my gosh, I have a, a box here. Oh my gosh, it's messy. Or what are people going to think? And you know, now you guys are going to be dying to see this amazing podcast on YouTube because of, of the, <laughs> not judging. but I think that's true. Like we all come in with like, we're, it's really because we're judging ourselves, right? It's like, I'm, I'm not blank enough. I'm not wealthy enough. I'm not ahead enough. I don't have, I'm not organized enough when it comes to my money. I don't know enough. That's a big one. You know, I don't know enough. I don't want to look stupid. So all those things. And then the traditional uh, financial kind of, let's just say sales process, even marketing and sales process is very much like, okay, how much money do you have then? And what do you have? And so I could, I would totally see why people would feel judged because it's like they're being rated or feel like they're being rated based on how much money they have in whatever accounts. And then again, old school, hopefully most people aren't doing this anymore, but I know it's still happening is that, okay, then let's just get that money and get it working for you with this investment as if that's solving the problem. When the real problem is that fear around what if I will run out of money or I don't have enough or I'm feeling bad about myself because I haven't saved and all this stuff. And you talked to me before we started recording, you mentioned just like listening skills and money conversation. So give me a little bit of that, um, like how you do that. I mean, I know you don't just have women in the firm, right? You have, obviously, Brett was, uh, Brett's going to be on the podcast too, but so it's very, but it's very much the woman's way, you know, we can call it the modern way. We can call it the right oh, way. The spirit way. That's what we do. <laughs> the nurturing way, the spirit way. But um, tell us a little bit how you do that, because it's very much, I think, like, it's personable. It's about connecting. It's very obvious that you're not after anyone's money. And I don't think that's the intention of the industry. I think that's kind of a byproduct of the strategies that have been given to the advisors. Um, and I'm glad you guys are changing that. Oh. Well, thanks, Robin. So really, it all starts with conversation. Um, When new clients walk through the door, the very first meeting happens with very little preparation. And we we just invite the client or, or the clients, whether it's a couple or a family, to come in and the focus is on them and are really discovering fully who they are. We learn a lot as we're nurturing them through the development process and in 
while we're engaged in conversations with them to um, make sure there's a good fit and, and get them to the point of becoming clients. But once they, they sign the engagement agreement and they're in the door, we're just fully focused on all aspects of their life. Again, uh, wanting to understand what the purpose of their wealth is, what their values are, um, what their their goals are, what what's most important to them and what are they trying to achieve with their wealth. So we break that down into lots of different areas and sort of chunk it out. So we're focused on different things to not overwhelm them. Um, but one of the things that we talk to clients about a lot at Experient Robin is the fact that there's two sides of money, right? There's the technical side, which is like all the brainy stuff that wealth managers, CFPs, financial planners, we're all trained in that. But there's also the emotional side. And that's where that's where we really focus on, especially in the early days of an engagement, because we want to understand that emotional side of, of the client and their views toward money. What, what was their history? What scripts do they have about money? How, like, what is their relationship? How do they communicate it? And once we understand all of that, we can better engage them in conversations about their wealth because we know where they're coming from and we know what approaches to take. That's awesome. So you said that's kind of like once they become a client, but my assumption is that if we go back a step on the conversion side, that there's a lot of that as well. You said there's not a lot of preparation. My guess is, is like you have a system where it's really very much opening up the conversation. And if you're anything like most people who actually know how to sell in a way that's not salesy, more about what their challenges are and what they want, like a discovery around that, um, which again is like, it's very different than the fact finder and just like, let me tell you what to invest in. So um, can you take it back a step? I know maybe that's Cammy, but just take it back a step on the conversion side and what that, what's that like? Like, what is, what, what is your process for that? And uh, so some of the advisors might be able to get rid of the fact finding. You have to fact find at some stage, but it's not, it's not the fact finder that, that like some, what I was taught when I started back and I got licensed in 2006 was that the way you get a client is essentially by fact finding and then you find a gap and then you sell them something just small enough to get their foot in the door to get started. So now they're a client and poof, like then you'll do the rest later just so we can close the deal, you know, which I <laughs> am not a big fan of, if you haven't noticed. So what do you guys do specifically on the conversion side so that right. I guess no. your conversions are super high, but it's like low pressure. That was back in the day, the way to do it, right? You find the, you find the hole and you fill the hole. It's so, uh, it's so, it's so much about, you know, it's about understanding what keeps them up at night. Right. So it's, it's so, wow. What were the returns you were getting at that last firm? Because wow, what a mess. Right. You can talk about investments. A lot of people feel comfort there. Like, oh, I want to talk about your returns and I want to know your fees. But we, we actually created a guide for our advisors because I'll tell you another instinct that our, our, I think just people naturally think I have to talk. I have to go in the meeting. I got to tell them all about Experient. And we wanted to help our folks turn that off. It's a, it's very natural for everybody to think, I, this person's coming in. I got to tell them all about it. You know, they've come into the shop, right? No, you need to understand what's going on in their world. So we did. We came, we came up, we call it a pop guide. We, just to help people remember, it's less about us. I mean, we tell the people about Experient and any details they want to know, but it's so much more about connecting what is Asperian? What can we do for them? 
based off of what they told you. So you got to start the question and understand what's going on in their world. What is keeping them up at night? And some of this, what Sandy's talking about is what are their values? You know, like what is going on? What is it? And really asking, what is it? You know, the seven questions. Well, why? Why? You know, you can't annoy them, but you're really trying to understand and listen. So then you can say, well, gosh, I just experienced this is, this is how we solve that problem. This is how we can help you. Because otherwise, me telling you, I've got 11 offices and this is the AUM and this is, I mean, maybe they care blah, about blah, how blah, we, blah, blah. yeah. And like some, I, I what I found is some do want to understand how we are succeeding the firm to remain independent. But the only reason why I know that is because they've told me, oh my gosh, our advisors have turned over because, right, they're in a firm that keeps selling and selling and selling. And so they're that disruption, they've got to gain, gain trust. Well, maybe they do want to understand how we're trying to keep continuity in their client relationship. But you know what, Robin, if I just start there and, hey, let me tell you about our independent structure, and I don't really know that that's something that they care about, then then I sound like the Peanuts parents, you know, wah, 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 this wah, is wah. Like you guys are in like an amazing little bubble of like amazingness. Amazing bubble of amazingness. That's how I describe it. But um, because... I see it every day because I'm getting, you know, we're doing marketing to all different broker dealers and firms. And so it's more, you know, who's resonating with this message. And obviously we're really clear on who that is, but um, many of them are like the old model. And I say this a lot in my marketing is that I learned over 15, whatever, 17 years ago, it's still being used today. Many of these companies that aren't necessarily independent. And it's like, it's baffling to me. Because I remember I learned this, like it was exactly what you said, like not to do was what they taught me. And I'm like, wow, you know, almost 20 years later, they're teaching the same thing at some of these companies. And I, I'm not trying to cast rocks at the companies, but like, I, I want to enough to shift the pair, like have a paradigm shift or shift the, the way the industry is doing it because it's not serving clients at the highest level. And what I learned was, okay, this is the step. These are the steps for the sales process. Let me tell you about my company. We never said, let me tell you, but it was like, Oh, hi, welcome. Build rapport, right? And then it was like my company, blah, 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 blah. And you sell the company. Like this thing is the best thing since sliced bread. Then step number two is, about you. This is your why, why you got in the industry, why you want to do this, which makes sense. But like, we're still talking about the company and then talking about me, not necessarily the client. And then we did this thing. We had this upside down little graph and we educated them and showed them basically like, if you don't start saving now, you're screwed. There was a little scare tactic there. Like we want to make sure you realize how important it is to act now. And that was like embedded. And then we would do the fact finder. And now it's like, how much money do you have in all of your accounts? Like very little conversation and no conversation about what's important to them, what their problems are. And then eventually, like after we did, after we did the fact finder, um, then it would be like, what are your goals? You know, one year to three or whatever, or that medium term, long term goals. And then there was a close and that close was like, okay, what we're going to do, we're going to take that hundred thousand dollars. We're going to roll into the capital appreciation fund, pause and sell it and close it. And I remember the first time I did this, like one of the first times it was in my first two weeks. And I was doing this for my cousin who was like, I think she was about nine years older than I am. I think I was 29 at the time. And, um, I had, they had told me to like the script they gave me to meet with friends and family was, Hey, I want to practice. Like, can I practice? Cause I just became a financial advisor. Here's my big why, you know, can I practice with you? And then two weeks later, you kind of forget you said that and you're supposed to run the script. And I had somebody watching me like a supervisor in the room. I have to follow this whole system. Let me tell you about my company. Let me tell you about me, whole thing. And at the end, my cousin looked at me and she goes, 
Are you serious? <laughs> I thought this was practice, and I was like, stop, die, I want to quit now. It's amazing I didn't quit in my first two weeks. Are you kidding me? That's It was awkward for two years. Like, the only way to gain credibility, I think, probably when my first book came out, I'm like, because I'm not that bad, I promise. It was Uh, the system I learned, and I suck, you know. But she's like, yeah, that was awkward for, like, two years. And a lot of the women who come to me have stories like that where they're like, you know, they've lost credibility and they want to go cold. Like this is one of the things I teach. They want to go to the cold market because they're so scared now to go to the people that they know because they've done stuff like that because they tried pounding the pavement. They tried dialing for dollars. They tried hitting up, you know, their list of 100 or now 200 and, and trying to hit everybody up. And with this script that they didn't feel congruent with, but everybody told them if you drink the Kool-Aid the first year, you'll make a hundred grand if you follow the system. Like, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but this is still happening, which is why I well, have a conversation because I'm like, we got to change this, yo. That's all I, I love that. And I think we change it not at the industry level. I think we change it at the client level. So the more we talk with clients and we empower them to, and clients, meaning future clients, you know, uh, people out there, the consumers, to say, ask questions. And if you don't get your questions answered in a way that you understand and you're satisfied, it's not your problem. It's their problem. So the more we empower and we have those conversations and Sandy, you do a really great job of that and giving people the tools of saying that's then the demand is there. So we're right. I think that's when the industry changes and we already are like, that's where these independents have come in saying, "Mm -mm -mm, this isn't the right way. Love that. Anything to add, Sandy? Only that um, when I'm in conversations with a potential client, I know that we've had a really great meeting if they've done far more talking than I have. Mm-hmm. That's good. And I always start with them, asking them what brings them here. And, and I'll say, I want I want to tell you all about our firm. I'm you know really excited to share with you, but tell me about yourself so I can understand what parts of the firm I should be describing to you as you make this decision. Yeah, love it's it. It's very customized to what they've told me. So good, so good. So, well, tell them, I guess, gosh, we got a, a few more minutes, I guess, but um, tell them how to find you first. And I might ask you one more question, but tell them how to find you. I, I think they might want to check out the website also so they can kind of cheat and see what are you saying? Like, what's your marketing that's actually resonating? Actually, I do kind of have a question about that, Cammy, to go back a step, but okay. give them your website and then definitely tell us a little about your podcast. All right. I'm going to say, I'm going to just jump in real quick and say, go to the website first. Cami and her team did such an amazing job. I, I love it. It's so exciting and it's fun to look at. Um, the stories are great. They're based on real life client situations. And and I I just, I think it's wonderful. So I want to give you that compliment, Cami. Thanks, Sandy. And so that's a great place to reach us. What's you can start at Asperian.com. Asperian. Yeah, A-S-P-I-R-I-A-N-T.com. Awesome. So and another yeah. great place to reach us is on LinkedIn. Both Cammy and I are very active there. Okay, yeah. Awesome. So I love that. So how? So going back a step, because we're talking about the website, and then you guys will give your podcast, but I meant to ask you this. Like, how, how do you... We talked about this a little bit. Like, how? how do you tell these stories, and I guess we'll go look at the website to see, but how do you tell these stories about different target markets while having like kind of under the umbrella of, of the target market? Do you know what I mean? Like, cause you talked a lot about stories, but is it clear when someone goes to your website, like you're talking to me, they have to go in there and kind of 
find it or how do you do that? Cause you are working with a lot of different advisors of different niches. Or- yeah, absolutely. So we do, we, we built out a story section and our intention is to truly build it right. And make it accessible for future clients to see themselves there. And so that's where we, we started. And then everything we do, you know, it's not just one place. This is where consistency comes in. Authenticity comes in. It should come to life, not just because there's a block of text telling some sort of a story. It's you see yourself in the firm, in the people. When you read our bios, you see yourself. I mean, you, you, you talked about this, Robin, and you asked us to share a little bit about the podcast. So we created Money Tales for Experient. And Money Tales isn't just telling people how to think and educating them. It's about telling, talking to guests about their money story and bringing to life and demonstrating what we do with clients every day, which is to have these really special, intimate conversations about what's money, how do they relate to it? How do we support them? What are their fears? What are the concerns? And so again, it's sure on the website, we have a story section, we're talking, we're writing, but it's it's not just about telling these stories. It's like adding value. Okay. We have our blog fathom. We have content that helps bring to life and and answers their questions thinking about those target markets. So it's all in it's a, it's a big web. Yeah, I love it. So check it out um, and then check out the podcast Money Tales. Um, so I also think it's it's super savvy marketing because you're not allowed to do testimonials um, but to tell stories which most people forget about and don't know how to do that is the best sales process on the planet because you're talking about someone who, what their story was, everyone will talk about the problem. I'm, I'm just imagining myself on your podcast, lying down on the couch. Like I need, you know, to <laughs> get on like, to my therapist, basically I'll have two. you guys will be great because you're so loving. You make me feel loved. This is perfect. This is like all the attention I need. Um, but we want to actually talk about the problems that we want solved and we want to feel like it's okay. And it's a safe space to do that. And then we want to know that there's a solution. So if someone is good at asking, just like a therapist, like asking the right questions, we want to actually dream and think about what's possible, but most people won't do it because they're too busy busy thinking about like, well, what, what's expected of me or what, what is really possible, not what's the, I should have said impossible. And so they're, they're just like staying safe because it's too scary for people. When you have the right person draw that out and it's very, very safe, it's a safe space. Then it's like, those stories are what are going to sell people anyway. And, and selling is just transformation. It's not like you want to sell people, you want to transform their lives and you want to give them the gift of being able to turn their finances around, which means turn their life around, which means have everything they want. Right. So I love that. And I think um, most financial advisors, it's like storming over here. So we'll hopefully still have internet for the last few minutes, but um, most financial advisors don't learn to tell stories, don't know to tell stories, don't use it as part of their process. And I teach also a speaking program and speak to accelerate success. And it's all storytelling, you know, it's like, we got to learn how to tell our story and tell the vulnerable parts, especially um, where we made mistakes, right. Our chest, yeah. right? right? To give the learnings and then to tell client stories is what is like gives other people permission to say, Yeah, I, I have that problem too, and I actually do need help instead of feeling bad about raising their hand. They're like, I want the help and I want to be empowered. So, you guys are on it. This is amazing. So, um any, any last last words of wisdom? I mean, I'm kind of like, I don't know if I want to hang up with you guys. This is so good. Robin, I'll, I'll just say, um, just hearing your, your remarks just now made me think that 
when we're in conversations with future clients, the word sales is just like not even part of, of what's going on inside our minds. We're, we're looking for partners. We're looking for individuals, couples, and families who want a wealth management partner for generations to come. And that, that just crystallizes everything in, in terms of how we're having those conversations. So that's how we think about it. And maybe that will be helpful for some of your listeners. Yeah, I can't tell you how many women say, see, I, I used to be so scared of sales. So like, I get it, but I, so many women say, I'm not a salesperson. I'm my husband, he's a salesperson. I'm not a salesperson. And, and um really scared of being that. And I, I think most of them would say easy. Like I want to partner with people. I want to help them create the life of their dreams. I want to help. I want to be there when they, you know, when they retire and have a retirement party and, and we get to high five and say, wow, you made it look at your life now. You know, they, they would all um, definitely resonate with that, but like, you don't want to be a salesperson. And I say it like that because I've reframed it for 15 years. I've reframed it in my mind because I came into the industry thinking sales was bad, manip- manipulative and greedy that like, for me, like if I say the word sales, I think of serving I think of transformation and I, I don't usually use the word partnership, but I just think like, like that's my opportunity to change their life is to get to quote unquote, sell them really on themselves of seeing what's possible for their future. So, um, yeah, yeah, I love that. So, uh, so good. So good. So good. Well, thank you so much for joining us. All of you who came to listen and of course, my lovely, lovely guests, make sure to check out the website and see what they're doing over there so you can get some ideas and see what resonates with you so you can take that home. And then also don't forget to check out their podcast, Money Tales Podcast. Um, and other than that, I will see you next time on Growing Your Financial Business the Woman's Way. Thanks so much for joining us. Bye. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.